Hey everyone, this is Rosalina. And this is Shauna. And we're your hosts for Too Young for This Shit podcast. This podcast is not just about boobs, but our journey with cancer. We are young millennials open about giving you our raw and unfiltered look into our lives. We are in no way medical professionals, nor are we offering medical advice. Any medical references are cited directly from public websites or from our personal diagnosis. Some topics and stories may be triggering to those who are fighting, have fought, or have loved someone with cancer. Hi, guys. Hey. Back. Yes, I feel like it's been long since, you know, we've done our fertility and, you know, freezing our eggs and embryos. So before we dive into the episode, we're recording this month of October, which all of you may know that it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And this is our first time, you know, going through this as survivors. So I would like to know from your opinion or your experience, Shauna, like, what is it like for you? Have you been exposed to a lot of things online or out um, on the streets about breast cancer awareness? very awkward. Like, I, I was like, this month is a little triggering for me. This is my life. Dealing with breast cancer is my life. And now that we have one month that's dedicated to it, I felt like people were like waiting to see what if I was going to post anything. I felt like I had to almost perform. I don't know, show awareness or whatever it was. And I was kind of like, I don't want to do that. I do my feel it on the first post every month. And I've had like multiple women come up to me and be like, thank you for posting that. I started doing my breast exams. I felt something. I went and got a mammogram. I'm negative, thank God. But like, I would not have gone had I not seen your post every month. This month, I needed to like perform even more. I don't want to do that. But I don't know. I just kind of feel like the microscope was like a little bit more zoomed in on me. Full of friends that have like, gone to libraries and have gone to sporting events and it's like I walk for so and so and then they're writing my name which is so sweet but it's just like we didn't sign up for this like we did not like a club we wanted to be a part of and this month is just especially like almost borderline I definitely agree with you that the first day of October it was a little awkward and weird for me as well and I thought this month I would see so much marketing and like when I walk on the streets, there's just be so many breast awareness walks. I live in LA and I haven't seen any breast cancer awareness walks. If I seen those in person, I think it would be very triggering for me. I'd rather not see that. Yeah, I did a walk a couple of weeks ago. It was like a local breast cancer group and it was literally around like our shopping mall, like our outside. Like it was like twice around the first shopping mall, twice around the sh- second one's yeah. outdoor. Um, but like, I don't own pink. Like I don't own anything that's pink. I had nothing to even rep. Like I had like um, I have a pair of uh, high top vans that somebody had gifted me. They're like the breast cancer. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, it was like a special edition. They did like a breast cancer collection, and they're sick. Like they're actually pretty cool. Like, okay, I love nice. them. I wore that and like a white, a white yeah. long sleeve shirt and like joggers. And I was just like, this is it. You know, like anybody would not even know, like people, you know, people there that like didn't know me would not even have known that I, you know, I wasn't wearing like a team Shauna shirt, you know, and having like all these people. in. Yes. Team Shauna yes. Shirts, I've seen know? those. 
Yeah. And like, that's not for me. Whoever that is for, that's amazing. You know, like some people really like that support. Family members like to show that they yeah. got you, you know, and, and I get it, but that's just not for me. So I did a walk and it was nice. It was outside. You went at your own pace. It wasn't like pink everything. I do have to say, it didn't feel like that. It didn't trigger me. And I only did it because my, you know, I have a friend whose mom and sister had passed from it and she does it every year. So I was like, oh, all right, okay. I'll do it with yeah, you Yeah, that's nice. I didn't do it because like I have breast cancer and I want it tomorrow. I did it more because like, you know, my friend Nicole does it every year and I just. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I would have done the same thing. I would have gone for myself. I would have gone for other people. It just feels like not a lot of attention is on you, even though like obviously you're a survivor as well. But it's it's just a weird yeah. feeling, I think, now that we're on the other side. Yeah. What about the marketing stuff? Like you've seen no, I haven't, every... which is a good thing for me, at least. Actually, there was one thing that I did see. I was in Starbucks with my coworkers, and that was my first time interacting with something that was mentioning breast cancer awareness. So like Starbucks had those like advertisements on their bulletin board, and they kind of talked about breast cancer awareness. I, I actually like don't remember exactly what it mentioned, but I remember seeing it and it hit me differently. I kind of was like a little bit emotional. Yeah, that was a bit weird for me. I went to uh, Ulta this weekend, bought a uh, scalp treatment, like a scalp cleanser, which I have to tell yes. you about. Yes, please tell me. Yep. Like it, but for and I go to pay, and of course, the lady goes, do you want to donate to breast cancer research? And I just laughed out loud, like in her face. I was like, ha, no, I'm good. I feel like I've, I have enough, like, honestly, breast cancer has costed me enough at this point, too. Oh, like, shit. Between doctor's appointments <laughs> and all that stuff. Damn. I just laughed out loud. I didn't say, but, and you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't yeah, yeah. say that I have breast cancer. I didn't want to, like, you know, but I just laughed out loud. Like, I couldn't even control it. It just happened to come out. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm good. Thanks. You know, like, you don't no, know where that money's don't. going. And like, I don't know. Yeah. Even in New York, the Empire State Building was like pink for okay. the beginning of October. Yeah. So maybe in New York, it's like more out there than maybe LA. Like, I don't know. I just haven't seen anything. Yeah. It's triggering for me. Right. Let's go ribbon. back to that ribbon. There's actually a nonprofit organization called the Breasties. And so this month, they were talking about pink washing and what are these companies doing, you know, when they market about breast cancer awareness, but are they actually like giving back? Are they actually giving a percentage to a foundation that's doing research? You know, they kind of also stated like, are you advertising this on products with carcinogenics and things like toxins that can cause cancer, which... I never thought right yes washing absolutely for anybody who wants to go check it out it is so informative really like kind of sheds a different light a bunch of survivors that are in this campaign and they're like this is our life like this is not a marketing scheme like breast cancer awareness is not just 31 days it's like the entire year I purchased their t-shirt about pink washing and pink is not the problem. 40% of the proceeds go to stage four breast cancer research. So I thought that was so great. Even though we should continue doing research for stage one to stage three breast cancer, but I really, really think that we need to do more research on stage four. Well, it's the most underfunded. Yes, right. Yeah, it's 
you know, it's so underfunded, you know, and I think everyone just sees the name brand, like, you know, Susan G. Coleman, like, that's where people think to donate. There's so Organizations. many other... Yeah, like do your research. Keep abreast is a great foundation. They do a lot of research for stage four. Breasties does a lot of educating too. And they do a lot for especially young women like ourselves. Like the Breasties for me was the most amazing Instagram account. It was like one of the first ones I found. So informative. Mm Kind of gave you a little bit of hope too, because you see these young women who fall cancer, beat cancer, living their lives. You know, like it kind of gave you a little bit of hope. Like, okay, you know, like they were dealing with the same thing we were doing and look at them now. They're happy, Mm -hmm. they're healthy, they're having babies, they're living their lives, they're getting engaged, they're dating, you know. It was like such a great thing to see. There's a... You know, and since we're doing this episode as a fertility episode, I follow, she's another one that I like love. Damn Good Yoga is her account. Started um, a foundation and she is raising money for surrogacy, for breast cancer patients. Surrogacy is so expensive. You know, she's starting a foundation to help with fertility and surrogacy. And I just think that's so incredible. In the show notes, we'll just put a couple of the organizations we can, you know, vouch for and just, you know, like that, that would be a great place to donate your money to you know it does not always have to be the Susan yeah, G. Coleman especially if the organization is a nonprofit, they need to claim everything that they do and where the money is going through and all that so you can actually look up their annual reports and see like how much is going through cancer research or how much are they like funding it to their employees for their salaries and all that right even donating to an organization that provides like resources for breast cancer patients. You know, the Breasties does like a retreat, you know, and the money that they raise pays for women, young women to go on these like retreats or even like mental health resources. You know, Young Survivor Coalition does, you know, Zoom meetings and and meetups and things like that. Like, I think, you know, the the research portion, obviously, like we need money to fund research, but, you know, even donating to to organizations that like truly give great resources to cancer patients, like breast cancer patients. Like, you know, I think that that's like a good that's place a really to put good your money point. too. And last thing that I wanted to mention is I think the Breasties is partnering up with this other nonprofit organization where, you know, when you undergo like cancer, there's a lot of women who get pregnant, have a child, and they can't breastfeed. And so getting breast milk is not covered under insurance or like baby formula. And it's insane. Your insurance will pay for a breast pump, but won't pay for formula or breast milk for your child. The whole thing is kind of all backwards. I felt the same way with the cold capping. Like, oh, okay, my insurance will cover a wig, but they won't pay for the, the cap to save my actual hair. You know, too, like, you know, it doesn't even have to be money, too. Like, it could be volunteering your time, volunteering, you know, if you're a mom that's a super supplier of breast milk, donating, donating that to a bank. You know, donating your time is just as good as donating money. You know, volunteering, you know, putting on those walks or, you know, just anything that, like, lending a hand, you know, to a breast cancer patient, bringing a meal one day or... You know, I just, it doesn't have to be just all money. It could, it really could be anything and it's helpful. I definitely agree with not everything has to be about money, but just putting your time where it's needed. Shauna mentioned, like, if you know someone that's going through treatment or, you know, is a survivor, but not doing so well, just being there for her 
bringing over a meal or offering to take their children for the day if they, you know, have kids so that they can rest. But then too, like I found during treatment, like I got super tired while driving, like, you know, offering just to drive somebody to a doctor's appointment. Like it doesn't. Having it dinner with anything. them, like taking them outside, walk with them. Yeah. Last thing I did want to touch upon, like you were mentioning how you had friends or family that like, would go on walks and put your name on the sticker of like saying like, I walk for Shauna. This morning, my cousin actually mentioned me on his story and him and his girlfriend was going through the breast cancer walk. And I thought that was, I don't know, that that hit me in a way where like, shit, like, He's walking, you know, for me. And he like mentioned that I was his superhero. That's like the best thing <laughs> someone could do, really. And so I'm really appreciative of that. It's so nice. Friends last weekend that went to, a, they were in Kansas City for a Kansas City football game. And they held up a sign, you know, whatever. And it was like, you know, for Sean O'Brien. And that, Matt showed me the picture because they texted it to him. And I was like, I was like crying. I was like, that's so nice. It's nice. It's nice Just to supporting have others is the best thing that you can do. I will say that I believe my other cousins know that I have breast cancer and maybe they don't want to ask me questions or maybe say anything or maybe they are just not that emotional. I don't know. <laughs> but I really wish that my other cousins, especially like the men, <laughs> would come and maybe like send me a text. I saw them recently in Vegas and they, they didn't mention anything about like, hey, Rosalina, I heard about what's going on with you. Like nothing like that. And I, I really wish that they yeah. did say something, you know? I'm an open book. Clearly you're an open book. We're doing a podcast. You know what I'm saying? But there's some people that are like, absolutely don't want to talk about it. Even like Matt's friends are constantly checking in with Matt and being like, how's Shauna? Like they don't want to text, you know, not that they don't want to text me, but I think it's just, there's, I think a level of, cause it's a female issue that it's, you know, I think they just feel like they can't, they don't want to bring it up. They don't want to upset, you know, it's a lot. It's a heavy thing to be going through too. So it's just, you know, they, I think they don't want to trigger too. And meanwhile, I'm, I'll tell them like anything. Yeah, I've become more open about my experience. Like in the beginning, I wasn't at all. I wasn't open. And so I think as time passed, I'm more open to talk about it because I think it's really important for someone to be aware. A lot of people don't know the extensive process that a patient goes through. And, you know, like my, my brothers were asking me the other day about like radiation, what that process is. And cause I was telling him like, oh, like I haven't seen any like skin changes, but over time, the end of the treatment, I could get sunburn and a tan and, you know, there's all these things that could happen to your skin. And he didn't know that he was like, you know, what do you mean that you get a tan or like you can get like a sunburn and so I had to explain to him like all that process I'm yeah I I needed to talk I think about it too because like it was happening and I don't know I just like I felt better to say some certain things out loud than it was you know try to like in my own head wrap my head around it almost you know I don't know 
I think it's too. And for the awareness part, like I will, I will be as vocal as now, I can. Now talking about today's episode, fertility. It's just like I mentioned in the beginning. Like it seems so long ago <laughs> that happened, even though it's only a few months ago. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like there's such a buildup to this episode because, you know, we've mentioned like, oh, we had to do that, but we're saving that for our fertility yes, episode. Yes, and here we are. Now we could talk about it. kind of wanted to start off with the question of once your oncologist told you that you should see a fertility specialist before you go through the treatment or for you, Shauna, like before you went through surgery, what was going through your mind? I knew early on that I was going to freeze my eggs, you know, like I knew that that was just, they gave me the option, but I had already had made my mind up that I'm going to do it. It wasn't like a, I need to sit and think about this. And I kind of also didn't have the choice to think about it because well, I had like, you know, I had already made my mind, but like, I didn't have the time to sit and weigh out pros and cons and weigh out like different fertility clinics. My cycle was coming. My surgery was for the next month. And like, this was the time I had to do it. My doc gave me a referral to somebody who took my insurance. Like they found me my Nice. You had specialist. no hesitation about preserving your eggs or like the thought about being a mother in the future. That was always in the cards for you. As a young kid, like I always knew I wanted to be a mom. I nanny for a living. I'm like constantly taking care of somebody's children, you know? Um, but I remember in like my late 20s being like the baby fever is real. I want to say I turned 30 and then I started to think like, maybe I don't want kids. You know, the world is crazy. And I think it's especially harder for kids now in the age of social media. It's just not easy. I think it's harder for parents now. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So I think over the last couple of years, I've been probably, you know, three years, I've been kind of going back and forth with, do I want kids? Do I not want kids? I can fully handle a child. Like I, it's not even about taking care of them. You know, like some people get, you know, like think of having an infant and that's like the scariest thing. Like, no, at work, I love, I love working with infants. I actually feel beyond calm working with an infant. So like, I know I'm fully capable of doing it. The thought of raising kids in this world right now scares me more than actually having a child you know I was doing it more as an insurance policy even if I don't want them at least I have eggs on ice it more for the insurance and you know I don't want to look back in you know five to eight years and really want a child and I didn't take the steps before cancer to like get me there you know like I feel like I would be so disappointed in myself it seemed like a no-brainer to just be like even if I don't use when my oncologist yeah, told me that I should see a fertility specialist so this was before starting chemo treatment, my mind was just checking things off of the list of like, okay, my oncologist told me I need to do this. So I need to do that, you know, just continue with the checklist. My thought process is like, of course, I'm going to preserve my eggs. I guess it was just a thing that you need to do before you start treatment. But diving deeper into my mindset and what I was thinking, I do agree that I didn't want to also make the mistake of if I didn't preserve my egg now, would I change my mind later in the future and say like, shit, I should have done that because now I want kids. Throughout my years, I've been wishy-washy of whether I want to have kids or not. Like what you mentioned, Shauna, everything that goes on with having a kid nowadays of just the social media and behavioral issues and yes, yeah, so they're way more expensive now than what they were before. And so 
the thought of having a child should be thought out so intensely in a way where like, okay, if I have this child, how would my life would look like? How can you take care of the child? Can you take care of the child financially, like emotionally? You know, there's just all these different components that you need to think about. And so that's why I think I've been wishy-washy of personally asking myself, can I do this? Am I capable of being a mother? And the other side of me is thinking about, I kind of see myself as a mother, but I think maybe because in society, you go through the different stages of, right. yeah, right, especially like after marriage, you know, that's the next thing to do. But I want to challenge that. Not everyone wants to have a child. Not everyone is capable of, you know, taking care of a child. So anyways... I know that was like a wraparound of the question, but. I think, I don't know. I have a dog. I love my dog. I don't need a baby right now. You know, <laughs> I was kind of like, I don't know. I'm like kind of content. Like I could go the either way. The next thing is cost. At first, I didn't know whether my insurance was going to cover fertility. And I kind of like went through this loop around. I have Aetna insurance, but then the fertility is actually through another insurance attached to Aetna called Progeny. So then I had to call them up, set up an account. Thankfully, they actually covered 95% of the cost. I'm super happy that my insurance covered that because that's another thing to ask yourself is, okay, can I afford this right now with these other treatments that I have to do? Being a breast cancer patient is not cheap at all. Super expensive. I wish my insurance covered it. It didn't because I had to do two rounds. I spent basically about $15,000 out of my own pocket. Didn't you have your friend made like a GoFundMe? My friends made a GoFundMe, which was so great. Yeah. So, I mean, it was that helped. The first one I paid completely out of my own pocket because I was even before my GoFundMe. Yeah. And then it's a thousand dollars a year to keep your stuff on ice. So, I mean, it stays. More of the story. (laughs) Children are expensive. Yeah. Yeah, Before Before you even have them. Yeah, we don't even have them yet. I know it's crazy. Luckily, my insurance did cover my fertility meds because that would have cost me thousands of dollars even more. So I was like grateful that the insurance company covered the fertility meds. There is grants though, like Live Strong has a grant. There's this awesome foundation called the Chick Mission that give grants to cancer patients. They're a really great organization, and I just didn't have time. You know, my cycle was starting and you know, you start your fertility treatments, like when you get your period. And I just, I didn't even have the time to apply, you know, wait a week. I, I didn't have the, you know, the option to do it. So it was kind of like, I had to pay out of my own pocket. Yeah. Because you already had quick, your you surgery know? date. Yeah. I had a surgery date. Yeah. And you know, originally with my plan, it was, I was going to start chemo three to four weeks after my double mastectomy. So in my head, this was like my one For those shot of you out there like wondering reasons why you need to preserve your eggs or embryos before you undergo all these treatments is because if you are going through chemotherapy, they could create damage to your eggs. And so damaging those eggs could affect your fertility and affect you in getting pregnant and having a child so that's why 
it's important to do the IVF process before you start treatment. Going through the next steps. So Shauna, you know, your clinic found a fertility specialist for you. For me, my medical oncologist recommended me someone at UCLA, but because Progeny is a network for a few clinics. UCLA wasn't one of them. So I actually had to go out and find one. <laughs> I think it was a bit tricky because with these clinics, I really wanted to find a clinic that had really good reviews, that had good doctors, like nothing super sketchy or trying to get more money out of you. <laughs> so I really was trying to find the best clinic that served me well. I found this clinic called California Fertility Partners, and it's close to my house where I can actually walk to, which was important to me because I don't have a car. I called them up, told them that I'm a new patient. They were pretty booked up. I was recovering from surgery and my chemo treatment was supposed to be scheduled in May. So I think this was in April. Yes, so April. Uh huh. They were booked out that their next appointment was sometime mid-May. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to work. I also mentioned to them that I have breast cancer and like I'm going through chemo treatment soon. So I needed to preserve my eggs quickly. I would definitely say that's a time where I pulled out my cancer card because I was like, listen, <laughs> I'm on a time crunch here. So then we hung up and then I was defeated because I was like, oh, damn it. Like this place was super close to my house. I had to find another clinic. I also chose that clinic because they had female doctors, which I wanted a female doctor. I did not want a male doctor. The next day, they called me back and they said, Dr. Chung has an opening and she would like to see you. So can you come in tomorrow at whatever time? And I'm like, great. Like, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. And so because I pulled the cancer card, they were able to fit me in. I'm super glad that that happened. When you go through the IVF process, you have options. You have the option to freeze your eggs only. You can create embryos. If you have a partner that's a male that's able to donate his sperm, you can combine your eggs and sperm together to create embryos. Or you could do half and half which I did. So I froze half my eggs and half my embryos. And that you can only do if you have enough eggs to preserve. Obviously, you need to ask your doctor, depending on when you do like the ultrasound, how many eggs you have on each side. So they do an, an ultrasound of your left ovaries and then your right ovaries. So I ended up going to see a fertility specialist that was recommended because they took my insurance. So I went and hated the guy. I hated him. My nanny, my boss at the time was going through IVF, just had her egg transfer. My mom had done IVF to have me. So I, I know what it is. I didn't know like the names of the medicines, but like I know the process of it, you know? And he asked me and, you know, what do you know about this process? And I like maybe got three words out. I was like, oh, I know a little bit. And he goes, no, you know nothing. And I was like, yeah, it was like so rude. And then like he was talking and I'm sitting there and like, like white knuckling like the seat because I was so mad. I, yeah. like, I almost walk out, you know, when he gets like a phone call or something and he has to leave the room. And I look at Matt and I go, I fucking hate this guy. I hate him. 
And then I don't know if he must have heard me or like I maybe he like realized like what he had done, how rude it was. You know, almost like mansplaining to me. I was at that point like you were like taken aback. That response is not a response that you expect. Didn't even give me the option to answer. He came back in and I think realized that he was like a little aggressive and like came back in like a totally different doctor. So I was like, all right, I got to get the show on the road. Leave this like, you need to get a blood test. And so I guess to check my hormone levels, I think that that was what that was for. See how many ovaries I had, something along those lines. So I did it. And then he works like closely with a fertility specialist worked at like a clinic in New York City. They're combining teams, but they're in two different offices right now. So we ended up having to go to the clinic, Matt and I, after my blood test came back. And like, that was when we were trying to figure out when I could start the shots and figuring everything out. We went and Matt had to give like a sperm sample like immediately. Matt's story is so funny. I walk into this room and there was like erotic pictures on the wall. And I guess whoever was in there before had like some crazy porn hub on the screen. The lady like had to bring him into the room was like trying to give him the gist and like there's porn on the TV playing and she was like all right here's your thing just like you know put your sample in there and like leave no it like way. she just like, couldn't oh get out of the room fast <laughs> enough because there was like porn just blasting and Matt is like in you know he like walks in and there's a couch and there's like yes. you know, like the puppy pads there's puppy pads like on this leather couch and you know like. There's porn like blasting in the background from the person that was in there before. And there's like these erotic pictures on the wall. He was dying laughing. Oh he was like, God. this is the funniest thing I've ever, like, he it, just, he came out and I, you know, filling out pa- like tons of paperwork and he comes <laughs> out with this like shit eating grin on his face. He's like, you have no idea. It was really funny, but you know, they gave both of us blood tests and I do have to say there was at least for myself, a couple of really good pros of having to do fertility. I have a very low egg count. I would never have known that had I not gotten breast cancer and not ended up at this clinic, you know? So they told me, you know, going through the process, a normal woman my age or your age can get anywhere from like 15 to 30 eggs in one room. So when, you know, when you said like, did you freeze half or whatever? And it kind of all depends on what you, you know, how many eggs you get. My first egg retrieval, we got two eggs. My uh, egg count was that low, you know, I would not have known. And then even if I had not done, let's say I didn't want to do the fertility in like five years after I'm done with Tamoxifen, we wanted to try, it would have been so much harder. I would never even have known. That was like one of the pluses of having to go through this experience. And there's not many, but that ends up being one. And another thing is too, is I'm getting a blood test. My partner got a blood test and they test you to see genetically like what you're a carrier. It was nice to kind of know like Matt and I are not carriers of the same things that it's going to create health issues in our future children. You know, not everyone does that before they go and have a baby. Like a lot of people don't go and do this genetic test. So like you never know. And and it's kind of nice, you know, after being told you have cancer or breast cancer, like it's nice not to have any surprises. So for me, I just I loved that aspect of the fertility, you know, just like knowing like Nothing between the two That's of us. That's the part is that I enjoyed yeah. about the fertility process too is just knowing how many eggs you are able to preserve. And I think that was something I actually never knew about. There's so many women out there, especially now, which is unfortunate, that they can't get pregnant naturally. So a lot of people go through the IVF process. But kind of backtracking. The first step, your doctor would take blood tests, what you mentioned, Shauna, but then also doing vaginal ultrasound. It's not painful. 
yes, it's, it's a little pressure. pressure. If any yeah. of you out there had the copper IUD put in, like it's not that painful. <laughs> Trust me, it's like less painful. So they go in and look on your left side, count how many eggs you have, and then go towards your right side and count how many eggs. And then basically she would mention to you whether you're able to fertilize half and half, like half eggs and half embryos, or whether you can just do one. That was really great to know. After you see your doctor and all that, you have to go back once your menstrual cycle starts. The day that you're bleeding heavily is when you have to go because that's the start of your medication. My situation was a little different because I had my fertility specialist that was in the office. So you have to go for monitoring. So like every couple of days you're going to get a vaginal. They were trying to make sure that your ovaries everything's work. All those medicines are like working, you know? So I had to go back and forth between the fertility specialist at the doctor's office and the, my other fertility specialist at the, at the fertility clinic. So, you know, they were working closely together, just right, like separate offices. Right. Yeah. When I, I have, so I have two different doctors cause I loved my, the fertility doctor. At That's great. The, yeah. I loved him. You know, you said you wanted a female doctor. It's so funny because I've only had female gynecologists. You know, I was kind of the same way. Like, I only want a woman. Yeah. And it's so funny because I think after going through so many doctor's appointments throughout everything, you know, like half of New York had seen my chest. I didn't even think about it until afterwards that, oh, wow, that was like a male. I have a male gynecologist now. I don't know. I didn't phase me until after. I was so comfortable with him that it made yes, it absolutely. Easy. You know, before we dive deep into the medication, I wanted to first talk about what made us want to preserve embryos. When my doctor mentioned I could do half and half, my mindset was just, oh, I'm just going to preserve eggs. I'm not going to create embryos. But then when I was talking to my boyfriend, Brian, every doctor's appointment I had, I would just tell him everything that I'm going through. And I basically mentioned embryos, but I never said, hey, what do you think? Do you want to create embryos? Like, he basically told me, I'll create embryos with you. Like I didn't even have to ask. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Are you sure we have to sit down and have a serious conversation about this? I also think, too, you guys yep. live together. We have a dog together. Same. Matt and I no, not married. Dog together, yeah. But we're not married. Making that decision together, you know, we had to have so many conversations. I mean, I was going like kind of actually insane of being like, well, what happens if we break up? You know, like what happens this is my only I ask those questions How are we too. Handle this situation? Yeah. What if, you know, you say, okay, yeah, I can have the embryo. Like, do you want to be a part of the baby's life? Like, that's half your kid, too. Like, I went down this insane, like, insanity of, like, you know, just like, what if, what if this situation, that situation? Matt, you know, Matt was kind of like, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, if we get there. Like, you're, you know, I was like, well, I have to think about this because, like, regardless, like, if we don't, like, this is, you know, and I really want a kid, like, this could be it for me. You know, this could be my only shot. And if we're not together, like we need to figure out making yes. sure we were making the right I choice. really feel that even if you've been with your partner for X amount of years, you still need to ask those questions 
because it's very serious. It's a process that yeah. you can't go back. Can't be like, oh, never mind. I don't want to do this anymore. Like once you've done it, that's it. You guys have something together. Yeah. Right. I joke around like we have kids on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Like. Yeah. What my doctor did ask me was, if you do want to do half and half, you need to decide whether you want more eggs to freeze or whether you want more embryos to freeze. I told her that there's an odd number. I want you to freeze more eggs and knew that that was the best choice for me because what you just mentioned, Shauna, like if something happens where Brian and I break up, I still have 13 eggs that I can rely on if I want to have a child. Exactly. Yeah. And had I had more eggs, you know, we would have done, you know, probably the same thing. When I went into my first like egg retrieval, like we didn't know, you know, they said maybe eight, you know, and I was kind of like, okay, not the typical amount of eggs that like a normal person has to like, let's just see, you know, he said, he's like, we'll see what we get, you know, we'll go from there. But when I woke up, they were like, we had two. And that was like super disappointing. It kind of was like a blow because I just got diagnosed with cancer. Like now I'm paying all this money, like two fucking eggs, you know, like I was pissed. I said, I was like, well, do we make embryos? You know, at that point we had decided to do embryos too. Cause once it's already created, it's like a better chance of you getting pregnant. And he was kind of like, I would just freeze these to be honest with you. Like, you know, immediately was like, okay, well trying to map in my head, I'll have surgery in less than two weeks. So maybe I can squeeze in one more round. I'll talk to my oncologist or chemo. Like maybe I can squeeze in one more round. I ended up freezing my first two sets. If you <laughs> were thinking about what's the difference between freezing eggs and then freezing the embryos well with eggs even though they mature you still don't know whether they're good or bad some people may decide to create an embryo because then you can actually do a genetic testing and do a biopsy and see if the embryo, if it's abnormal, that means that it produced more chromosomes, more than 23. And so that basically say your kid may have Down syndrome or you may have a miscarriage. And also too, with the eggs, not every one of your eggs is going to fertilize. Like, you know, my IVF and she said I had 20 something eggs and we got three embryos out of the 20 eggs. Luckily, I got four eggs for my second and three became embryos, which is great, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's another <laughs> thing I wanted to mention. There are tons of women out there that, you know, do this IVF process more than once. And so even though with you, Sean, I was unfortunate that you had to do it twice, but you had the choice at least to do it again. And the second time was better because you were able to do embryos. And so you have like a better chance. I mean, it's nice having the option have, you know, I have, we have it, I have two eggs and you know, when that time comes, like I'll figure it out, you know, but at least there's both. So that's good. Yes. Let's talk right. about the myths. That's a whole process there. So you know, I had mentioned like I didn't even have time to get like a grant or anything like that because like, my cycle started. I had the most nightmare experience of trying to get my medicine because the fertility meds come by mail order. And I had so, like, you know, waiting for approval from the insurance company and then trying to get the meds and then also doing it on this timeline. I was 
freaking out. My meds didn't come in time. Thank God, like my doctor had samples of everything so I could start for two days before and then the meds finally came in the mail. But it was like, I was like running to specialty pharmacy in Brooklyn trying to get one medication. It was a nightmare just trying to get all my meds the first round. The second round, I knew I was doing it in advance and got everything sent. I was like ready to go the second time, the second round. So like I had everything prepared, but the first time, nightmare plus so much stress and those fertility meds too out of pocket are so expensive so i was like so grateful that my insurance company even though they didn't cover the cost of the procedure yeah that's awesome the cost of my meds yeah so i ended up having to take letrozole a pill i had to take gonal was one of the that was an injection pen and then ganarelix is the shot that you take day or two before i had gonel manicure letrozole cetracide and then the lupron kit yeah i had manipure and the gonel and then the ganarelix i had to take i said day before and then just the letrozole pills that was it for me but yeah so it was just two shots when you inject these shots it. it needs to be at the same time every day for you know 11 days or so so you have to be wise in choosing the time that you can remember setting an alarm would be great just as a reminder the nurse essentially shows you exactly where you need to inject it so basically she would say day one you inject it on the left side day two you inject on the right side and so where you inject it she says put your two fingers out and then touch where your belly button is with the two fingers go to the left and then down one. And so that's where you inject it and squeezing your gut. And then that's when you start to inject it. I don't know if your medication came with the pre-settings where you didn't need to measure how many milliliters that you need to inject. Yeah, the phone now was like, like turn the dial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I yes. love that. Yeah, I loved that. Yes, Manipure was annoying yes. you have myself. to mix it. With the powder, yeah, and I don't know. The gonal was not as pain. Like Menapure burned for me. Like I remember being like I hated doing that. And also too, I gave the shots myself. Like I didn't want Matt to do it. Like I felt like I needed to be in control of the shot. Like I needed to expect it. And like it was just like I didn't struggle when I giving myself got the, the medication. And again, my medication was mailed to order. So with Progeny, they don't mail out all of your medication they only approve a certain quantity amount so every day or like every two days I had to call them up and say can you mail the rest out because I need this I would say before 5 30 because I would take my shots at 6 p.m the first time I got the equipment it's nerve-wracking I don't know if it was for you, but it was definitely nerve wracking. Like I didn't want to make the mistake with the Ghana. Like you just have to turn the dial, which was super easy. But the manipure was, I think, the most difficult part because you actually need to mix it yourself. And when you inject it with the syringe, there can't be any bubbles in the syringe. My doctor sent me videos on how to do it. Literally like a tutorial video, making sure I mixed it correctly. And it helped so They much. didn't send it me a video, so but easy. I was smart enough that when I was at the clinic and the nurse was showing me exactly how to do things, I was like, 
I need to record this on my phone. So I recorded it on my phone. And I would say that was the best thing that I could do because I could look back at the video <laughs> and see exactly what she did so I could mimic that. If they didn't send you the videos like they sent to Shauna, record it. Highly recommend to record that. It made it so easy. I felt so bloated, though, the first round that I did. I was so bloated. I wasn't emotional. I didn't feel crazy mood swings that they said I could experience. I just felt, like I PMS, but I never experienced like the bloat or like the cramps anytime I got my period. So like, it was like a different feeling for me. And I just like, couldn't yeah, I think um, for me, yes, I did feel some bloating. Once you're in it every day and, and giving yourself the shots like I feel like I felt more bloated each time I did felt some mood swings <laughs> I did feel that it was nerve-wracking to give myself the shots I didn't want Brian to do it I was like hell no if I told him that he needed to do it he mentioned that he would ask the nurses to do it for me if for whatever reason you can't get the shots to work you can actually call up a number and then a nurse will actually come by your house and do it for you but luckily I never had to do that but I always wondered if I was injecting the shots correctly when I went back to see the doctor because like she what she does is like during that time period that you're giving yourself the medication you need to see the doctor on a regular basis Every two or three days, you go, they take blood and you get a professional sonogram. They are checking your ovaries to make sure, you know. Yes. So like what she does is, um, you know, the sonogram slash ultrasound. She counts how many you have on the left side, how many you have on the right side and measure them. By measuring them, she can tell which ones are working. They're checking blood work every two days to make sure everything's going your levels getting to this stage where they're ready to be retrieved and so they needed to be at the right amount of size I forgot I forget like what exactly the size needs to be um but basically that would tell you if the injections are working yeah It's two days, I think, before your retrieval. They make you take a shot. You mean I took Is that the same one you did? Oh, may, maybe that's what, I don't know. I, yeah, to like shut down you your ovaries. Before. Yes. Yeah, and that, that's basically your last injection until you yeah. end up going for your egg retrieval. But fertility doctor that worked at the clinic, he wow, that's gave so me like nice. a cell phone number <laughs> and... He was the nicest guy. I was like in love with him. He was just so amazing. He made the process so, you know, even even when I was disappointed, I, he still made it easy. Like he was just a really great guy. Shout out to Dr. Thornton. I loved him. You know, he called throughout the whole time checking on me and, you know, he told me to take that shot and he goes, um, and then tomorrow I need you to take a pregnancy test. And I was like, what? You know. He's like, yeah, he's like, that's how we know that like the last injection you end up taking. So basically I had to pee on a stick and if it came up positive, that means that uh, I was I mean, I didn't pee on a retrieval. stick. So I don't think 
they made me do that. Oh, they yeah, they made me do that. And it was hilarious because I sent the positive pregnancy test to like all my friends and they were like, oh my God. And I was like, like my one friend Katie was like, I literally just started crying. I was so happy for you. <laughs> I was like, nope. But uh yeah, no, so that meant the retrieval. whole process so. of giving yourself the medication and all that kind of took about 11 to 12 days so it's it's actually not that long no and it goes quick it really does it goes quick and then you know going in for the egg retrieval that was my first time ever on anesthesia like i've never been put under for anything so i was like a little nervous i originally was on the nuvering i was on the nuvering for I think 15 years loved it never had an issue with it. i wanted an iud a proper iud i was like okay like you know i have heard in the past how bad it hurts and i was like i don't really kind of want to experience that like maybe i can just have the fertility doctor like while he's in there just throw it up oh there me, yes you know? yes i i see where this is coming <laughs> i bought the iud from my gynecologist and brought it to the clinic to have my fertility doctor there insert it while I was passed out. So I like hand the guy my box with my ID. I'm like, all right, we're ready to go. And I, I was in like a good headspace. I was like nervous because I'd never been put under, but I was like, let's get it done at this point. So it was quick, 20, 30 minutes. And I woke up and I was like ready to walk out. Like, you know, like they bring you into like a recovery room. Like there was a woman next to me that was like moaning and like she was having a hard time waking up. And I was like, literally i wanted like snacks and i wanted to get the fuck out of there you know but they had come in and they had said um you know they had only gotten two eggs which they thought they were going to get eight so it was a disappointment um but he said you know after surgery call me and we'll get you in before you start chemo we'll do another round and i was like all right he's like i didn't put the iud in because i know you know this isn't the result that we want and we'll do another round we'll give you even more like now that we know what your body produced on those hormones the next time we'll really load you up and you have a better chance of getting more eggs i was like okay great but when i woke up too like my fertility doctor like like, looked at me and he looked scared so it kind of like scared me he was like i've never in my life have seen anyone move under anesthesia like you move under anesthesia he's like we had to hold you down just it didn't nothing went right basically for me so what Shauna mentioned, it's like 20 to 30 minutes. It's not like a long surgery. And also, since I did this after my mastectomy, pairing the two surgeries together, this egg retrieval is not as intense as a mastectomy. Yeah, it, it was nothing. I wasn't in pain after it wasn't like, it, yeah, it was nothing Yeah, like I thought it was going to be. It was easier. And even to like waking up from the and like anesthesia, I literally was like ready to go. Like I didn't, there was like no, reco- I didn't need a recovery. I yes, just needed like exactly kind of just going through, you know, what they do when they give you the anesthesia and then you're out. They basically take an ultrasound guided needle and insert it in your ovaries. And that's how they actually retrieve all the eggs. When I woke up, you're not in a room by yourself. There's curtains in between. And so everyone that is in recovery, like kind of goes through 
those sections. There aren't any walls <laughs> like in between you. And so you hear other people or like what doctors are talking to like the patients about. So I found that to be a little weird because what if a woman who's ready to be a mother and she hears like another doctor mentioning to the patient, like, we were able to take 40 eggs out of your like ovaries, which that that was a number that I had. And that doesn't mean that all those eggs were matured. It just means that's how many they were able to retrieve. But for me, I felt awkward and weird because these women who are right next to me, then like a curtain away hearing this, I would feel some type of way. <laughs> if I was there, you know, I'm doing the IVF process, I'm ready to be a mother. And then I hear that my egg count is lower than this other person's egg count. So I thought that was a little weird. But anyways, yeah, so I basically had 40 eggs that were retrieved. But out of those 40, 26 were matured. And out of those 26, like I mentioned, I did half eggs and half embryos, 13 were frozen. I didn't expect to have that many. I am fortunate to get that many, but yeah, <laughs> I had 13 eggs frozen. With the embryos, basically when I got my egg count, they basically kind of sent it over through the portal and said, you know, 13 eggs were frozen and then 12 embryos are in culture. So like they need to develop cells. And oh, that process took about seven days, three days after fertilization. You know, that's when they can see whether the embryo would contain about, you know, six to 10 cells and then seeing whether it would get to like the blastocyst stage. And so once it gets to that, then we were able to identify how many of those embryos went into that stage. I had nine embryos, but then when they did the biopsy just to see whether the embryos would be chromosomal, like normal or abnormal, we actually found that they were, I think, two that were abnormal. And then there were like a few that were discarded as well. So at the end, I was able to freeze six embryos. Okay, that's great. And then still have all those even, eggs. That's awesome. Even before you start the egg retrieval process, they give you this big document that you need to sign. They do a document just for freezing your eggs and then they also do a document for freezing your embryos so basically like your partner needs to be there signing it this is why like you need to have a serious conversation with your partner because basically you guys need to decide these things so one of them being if for whatever reason one of you die do you want to discard your embryos? Do you want to donate your embryos? Do you want to give it to someone else? Like you guys need to like decide at that moment. And also the other question is like, if one of you decide not to be together anymore, that's another question of like, are you going to donate them? Are you going to discard them or what? Like 
So those are the serious conversations that you need to have. And if you guys don't agree, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah. So we ended up actually, we did that, but we also did like an agreement that we got written up by a lawyer just to like both cover our bases. You know, like I said, we're not married and it was just kind of like a little bit more like concrete, you know, for us and what we wanted. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, but it was a lot like trying to figure out, you know, even to like, you know, in, in the thing, in, you know, the one we did with the lawyer, it was, also to like you know in the event that we're not together I choose to have this baby like you know giving Matt rights to the baby if he wants the baby you know or not you know like it it, like we had to kind of go down this like really crazy road of what ifs what ifs and it's like and especially when you are like trying to process your diagnosis of breast cancer and then you have this on top of it it's just like a lot you know and it's like this, it's the stack of paperwork you're right it was obscene. obscene and i had to do it twice because yes, i had to do a second right, round yeah oh my god that's so annoying my second round of ivf i ended up with like i said four um embryos i mean i ended up with four eggs and then got three embryos out of that and right so i went in i was actually more like pumped for the iud because i was like we're gonna get this done they couldn't get it in. <laughs> I went for the yeah, right, right, I, right, I, right I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get to finish my story from the book. They were like, they couldn't. Yeah, they said like they couldn't get it in. Like basically, in order for me to get an IUD, I was gonna have to go to Planned Parenthood, get dilated before doing this. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. I'm not going to Planned Parenthood to get dilated to have me be awake for this insertion of the IUD. Absolutely not. So we canceled it like canceled i was so upset i was like that was like kind of like more i was more pumped to get that done than yeah like, to, to i i feel the same way actually had, too yeah. that was the best time to insert the iud so you don't have to freaking feel like all the pain that every woman go through when <laughs> that gets inserted so yeah. actually like what happened then like you weren't able Absolutely. to they just like couldn't get it in basically i couldn't get up there because like i needed to be a little dilated for it to like fit up there i, I mean did you I end up like, like just on top of having the iud inserted like another time no no yeah okay. no. nope yeah no i'm on no mm-hmm. birth control at the moment it's fine i mean i get you know basically with the hormone yeah. therapy and you know i'll be on tomorrow yeah it's gonna be like next to impossible and my low account your ovaries like shut off so you're you're basically on menopause (laughs) so yeah and then i'm then mixed out with i think i think you're right um um i don't know that's true yeah um (laughs) kind of going back through the recovery process of your surgery I basically like recovered fine, definitely feel some cramping. And that was the worst part of the recovery period. Like I was in so much pain that I couldn't really like walk that much or or whatnot. And and so I, I think it took about like a few days for it to like settle. 
Oh, I felt fine. Like I came home, I put the heating yeah. pad in between like my legs, like, you know, my stomach a little bit. Mm-hmm. I napped and then woke up and we ate and I was fine. I actually oh, felt that's, fine both times. That's great. After. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you had 40 eggs too. Like imagine trying to have a go in and Yes. Like, so yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Because I had way more retrieved, like that's probably why I felt so much cramping. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going through this whole entire process, have our viewpoint of fertility changed? Especially like you know, being forced to think about fertility because of our diagnosis. Curious your thoughts. I mean. I'm glad I did it for the insurance policy, you know, like even if we don't end up using them, I don't think it was like a waste of money. It was for the peace of mind of having that to fall back on hundred percent. Um, I think having breast cancer has changed my outlook on wanting to be a mom. Um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, went over earlier, like all the fears of, you know, bringing kids into this world today, you know? Um, But also, you know, I just, I don't want to bring a kid into this world and then not be there for them, you know? Um, You know, Matt and I have had to talk about like, you know, my, my, my cancer feeds off of my estrogen and progesterone. You know, I, I, you know, putting my body through this is can risk a reoccurrence for me. You know, we have highly talked about like, you know, there's a very, very good chance that we will do surrogacy because I'm not going to bring a kid into this world and then put my body through that, you know, like take myself off all the, you know, off all the hormones presence, pump my body full of hormones, have a baby. You know, it's just like I to have a baby that I'm not going to be there for. God forbid I end up stage four, you know, like. You know, God forbid I don't have a long lifespan. Like I just I don't would I would never want to do that. My my aunt died from metastatic breast cancer. You know, her kids were older. My cousin, my youngest cousin, I think was 19 at the time, and it was just as devastating. I don't know if I want to risk that. You know, like the only way that I would do it is if we did a surrogacy. I think at this point because I just I don't know. I'm scared. I don't want to do that to a child. You know, and then even too like passing that down. Now my daughter, you know in her young age, you know, if I ever have a daughter, I don't know. I don't know what my embryos, the genders of my embryos, but it scares me. It scares me to do, you know, have to have like my young daughter have to think about that, you know, and get screened early and all this stuff. Like, I don't know. So that, you know, it has my brain thinking differently, like, you know, about, and like I said, it's not about like, I can fully, I nanny, I'm very comfortable with children. I can fully handle raising a child, but now the health aspects, the my health, like being able to be there for, you know, watch my kids grow up, like those factors kicked in, you know, after, after being diagnosed and after going through chemo and, you know, seeing the support groups and seeing, you know, it's a lot, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we'll do it. I don't know if we can do it, but I'm kind of at this point, like, I know for sure my doctor had told me to wait five years before you know, beyond the hormones presence for five years before even trying to have a kid. So I'm at this point where it's like, you know what, we have five years, we'll travel, we'll do, hopefully get another dog, like, you know, like, we'll live our lives. And then when that time comes, you know, we will revisit. 
And I'm kind of like in a good place mentally with that, you know, or like very gun ho about still being a mom and, you know, because and also too, you know, you, you, you know, did a single, you know, you have always, you know, you expressed to me that you wanted to breastfeed, like just how has this changed? Yeah, I, I agree with you about having a surrogate. I have thought about that too, because unfortunately, you know, being pregnant is a risk for us now, even more than ever, <laughs> um, unfortunately. And so I, I have thought about that. But then I always thought it was just so beautiful seeing women pregnant and seeing them glow. And it's just, I always saw myself that way. Like if I ever get pregnant, like I want to go through that period of feeling the baby inside me going through the process because I feel like it's such a beautiful thing for women to go through but also like I really need to think about my health as well so having a surrogate is something that I have thought about I have thought about if I were to have kids I don't want to regret doing like a double mastectomy and not be able to breastfeed and that's valid too. A lot of pediatricians really push it, you know, for the nutritional value of it, for the um, immunity aspect of it, you know, they are pretty gun ho and, you know, there's like, there's a shame in not breastfeeding your kid. And, you know, you know, you, I think you and I have had that discussion. Like I, part, part of me, like, likes to not have the option. You know, I've seen my friends struggle doing it. And, you know, for me, it's just like not an option. It's not even something I have to think about. It's not something I have to even struggle with at this point. And I'm I'm kind of like in a weird way, just kind of like happy that it, that is off the table for me. You know, and it, it's funny because as far as like, you know, you saying like, you know, the bonding aspect, and that is so important, especially with newborns, like, you know, NICU babies, the skin to skin contact and all that stuff. It's funny because I, you know, I nanny, I have a relationship with every single one of my nanny kids, you know, um, Claire is, I, you know, I start, you know, I was with them since the day they came home from the hospital and the bond I have with her and she's not even my child, you know, like it's, I, you know, I love that kid so much. Like she is my own. I, you know, like I would take a bullet for her and, you know, she's not my child, you know, and, and that's the thing too. I think that, you know, I, I, I know the relationships that I have with these kids, the this bond was is our be story there. and I hope you gotten something out of it. Even if you had a laugh or two. <laughs> Shot us sorry about her IUD. Oh my god, that was hilarious. <laughs> Obviously, it was very disappointing for you, but just like talking about it now. <laughs> but I literally holding my IUD in the box to the doctor, being like, "Please insert this, sir." I know. Wow. But also, too, um, you know, we will, you know, post in the show notes the foundations that we spoke about in the beginning, like how you can support breast cancer funding or, you know, just, you know, various nonprofits or organizations that like we can vouch for, you know, but do your own research and, you know, anybody who has questions or anything can email, you know, for fertility stuff or, you know, if you're in New York City, the clinic I went to is amazing. You know, if you're in LA, Rosalina's mm -hmm. got a clinic for you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just, we we're here. Thank you all for listening to our podcast. Sharing our stories with you has been incredibly healing for both of us. 
and we hope it helps other women in their journeys through breast cancer. Ladies, if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your friends. Help us reach more women by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also follow us on Instagram at T-Y-F-T-S podcast. And our email is tyftspodcast at gmail.com. We will link any resources from the episode in our show notes.